Hey there, and welcome to the Jimmy's Table podcast at jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey. I'm curiously evangelical, politically homeless, and a dreamer of small things. On this podcast, I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. So if you have honest questions, aren't afraid to have difficult conversations, and want to have a little fun along the way, then pull up a chair. This podcast is for you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that God causes it to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. So then, that begs the question, why are some people poor and why are other people rich? Is it because some people just make excellent decisions in their life that they just pull themselves up by the bootstrap while other people are lazy, have, are stupid, and have a bad work ethic? Are people rich simply because they are smarter and hardworking than all the poor people in the world? Well, the topic of poverty and wealth is a difficult one, and it is one we will probably come to the table with a lot of preconceived notions with about why people are poor and why people are rich. And a lot of this, I believe, has to do with our own personal experiences mixed with larger narratives that we've found helpful in explaining our own personal place in the world and the degree to the wealth we experience in our own lives or the poverty we experience in our own lives. Some of us have bootstrap stories where through grit, hard work, and determination, we made something of ourselves with help from just about nobody else. We are self-made men and we love to share our rags to riches stories. Many others cannot relate to this story. They might even have a Marxist narrative about the proletariat and exploitation of labor and capital and all that fun stuff. And maybe they don't even have that story. Maybe they just even have a story about how no matter how hard they work, they just can't seem to get ahead. They apply to a million different jobs and work 60, 70 hours a week, and they just never improve their lot in life. They have transportation issues, they have medical issues, they have family issues, maybe even the government's out to get them. And then all the other random troubles in the universe just seem to constantly fall in their lap. Murphy's Law seems to constantly target them. And everything that can go wrong seems to always go wrong. And every day is a battle, and they're struggling to avoid drowning. In today's episode 99, I'm going to address this issue head-on at jimmystable.com. But before I do so, I kind of want to set the framework here with kind of a, a hot take that recently Dave Ramsey made a splash with on Fox News, and then that he not only made on Fox News, but then went to further double down and defend this hot take. Um, So I want to go ahead and play this two-minute clip to kind of set the stage for the conversation we're getting ready to have today. Oh, great. Because according to Twitter, it's the number one thing on Twitter right now. So I said on Fox News this morning, uh, that I don't believe in a stimulus check because if you get $600 or $1,400 and it changes your life, you didn't have a life. You're mm-hmm. already screwed. Yeah. And apparently that's news to people. It's, it's like apparently I have, I have upset and melted many snowflakes. So the concern is, is what? That, that $600 changes people's lives. I mean, honestly, I, I thought it was a fairly obvious thing. If $600 changes your life, your life really sucks. 
But I thought you don't have a life. You're screwed. I thought both sides have been upset about that. That that amount. Well, right? it's not enough. Right. It's either not enough or why are we sending it, right? Yeah, it's, it, well, it's not enough or you're not allowed to talk about not getting it because apparently it is freaking life-changing. And I just didn't know because I'm an elite boomer. Huh. I mean, it's what, – what asinine people – I mean, some of you people have lost your dad-blame minds out there. <laughs> if you really believe $600 is going to change your life, you're an idiot. Really. I mean, I've been broke, and I never even then thought $600 would change my life. Back when $600 was a lot of money. It was a million dollars, huh? You know? I mean, really. It's, I've been broke. I mean, would $600 help? Yeah, if you hand it to me, I'll take it. Right. But I'm not going to get it, obviously, because I don't meet the income qualifications, which I shouldn't get it. None of you should get it, but, um, but you're going to. Because the government is here to save the day. It's like a cartoon. So, so the how, Island of Misfit Toys up there, man. How much of it is is just that, Dave? Which it is, it's a it's a signal. Look how much we're helping. Yeah, that's all it is. It's look at us. We're here to help. And my point is, is that they're lying to you. They're not really helping you. Right. If six hundred dollars or fourteen hundred dollars completely changes your life, you're you're screwed. Yeah. You already had major structural crap in your life. You're struggling with mental illness. You're struggling with a career problem. You're struggling with uh, a work ethic problem. You've got character issues. You've got, oh, now he's shaming the poor, Uh, you know, uh. which is the other thing. I mean, that's absolutely asinine. I'm not doing any of that. There's only one way that your life is, I mean, you could have tremendous health problems. That would be it. It wouldn't be shaming anybody. It's just a mathematical arithmetic, uh, arithmetic recognition that $600 is not much money. (laughs) Right. You know, I'm sorry I had to play that. I'm sorry that you had to listen to that, but I thought it was important to play this clip and framing this conversation. And I thought I'd use Dave Ramsey's hot take from this past week as kind of a, uh, I don't know, a, a, a little case study here because... I think he offers a perspective and a revealing perspective about people's personal experiences with wealth, um, often clouding their judgment and causing them to make mischaracterizations of other people as a result of that. Um, For those of you who don't know who Dave Ramsey is, Dave Ramsey, of course, is a huge personal finance guru. Um, and he's been doing this for decades now, you know, debt-free scream, helps people get out of money, tough talking, you know, no nonsense, kind of a very Rush Limbaugh type personality, um, trying to dispense personal financial wisdom on how you can get out of debt, stay out of debt, build a path to wealth and live like nobody else so you can live like nobody else. And, and, you know, while Dave has some pretty good takes on things, things that I even agree with, um... You know, it's, it's disappointing for me to hear this um, sort of commentary, this vitriolic commentary from Dave Ramsey, not only because, one, he you know professes to be a born-again Christian, but two, you know, he also pretends to be a financial professional uh, who's out there looking to help people um, win with their finances. And frankly, the attitude that he displayed here, I find repulsive, 
not only as a Christian, but also as an actual financial professional. Um, if you're trying to help p- people obtain their financial dreams, you don't sit there and mock them and treat them like they're broken trash. Um, and, you know, that sort of language and, and tone of voice may be something Dave is, you know, regularly known for talking uh, with. And, and it may be something that his viewers have come to accept as normal. Um, but there is nothing Christian about that sort of tone, and there's certainly nothing professional about that sort of tone. And, you know, we should all be horrified at such rhetoric. It rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, as it should. Um, but so I, I bring up Dave here um, and his this perspective that he has, because I think he portrays this sort of bootstrap mentality uh, that is common amongst many people, especially amongst us evangelical Christians, that, you know, we just need to use the Protestant work ethic and that we just need to, you know, make good choices and live good lives. And if we do all that and we try really hard, um, then we'll get ahead in life. And that sort of mentality preaches and it sounds good and it sounds wise, But biblically speaking, it is a deficient theology, and even from an economics perspective, it is also a deficient understanding of how the world actually works. Um, And the fact that folks like Ramsey could sit here and think that $600 or $1,400 is not a big deal, you know, the truth of the matter is for... For people who are broke, and I've, I've been in that situation where $600 or $1,400 would have been life-changing money for me. Um, if you recall, for those of you who've been listening for a long time, I did a podcast a while back called Lucky to be Broke in which I talk about my personal um, bankruptcy journeys and my personal shortcomings financially and missteps that I made in my mid-20s. Um, in which I worked two jobs and 60 hours a week. I'd, I'd wake up at 6 a.m. and not get home till 10, 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, I was having to rob Peter to pay Paul. Didn't even make $30,000 a year. Um, and I never knew if I was going to be able to pay everything that I needed to pay. And sometimes I couldn't. Sometimes my checking account at the end of the month read negative. So like I said, I was lucky to be broke. Um, And I certainly know uh, occasional small windfalls of money would come my way. And those windfalls would be the difference between being able to pay for all my bills and pay for all my food, Um, maybe even put some clothes on my back um, and versus not being able to. So shame on you, Dave, for, for mocking and making fun of people as if $1,400 is some trifle thing. It may be a trifle thing to a guy like him who's currently trying to sell his house for $15 million, but I promise you, for the average American who lives paycheck to paycheck, um, in which, according to statistics, 63% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck and only have a median household income of $68,000 a year, you know, fourteen hundred bucks. That's going to be the difference between being able to pay for your mortgage, your lights, your food, or some other major expense. Just something that could get you, keep you afloat, and know that may not change your life forever in the grand scheme of things, but it's going to change your life for right now. <laughs> 
And, you know, so when you get windfalls of money like that, wherever it comes from, whether it comes from Uncle Sam, a stranger, or, or somewhere in between, um, you know, that's some very real money to people. And I kind of resent this idea that it's, it's not. And even if you, whether you agree or disagree with whether or not um, the government should be issuing stimulus and bailout things, that's, you know, that's a real conversation that people can have and should have. You know, I'm not entirely sold on the entire COVID relief thing. I have some misgivings about what's happening. Um, but, you know, when I look at the fact that there are people out there who haven't worked in a long time, um, you know, at, at one point in at the worst of the pandemic, 14.8% of America was unemployed. That's, that's a one out of seven people. Um, you know, people who weren't receiving a paycheck and while they might've received some sort of government stimulus or unemployment insurance or whatever, you know, we, we can't forget there are very real people out there who suffer greatly, um, because of, the lockdown measures that the government undertook because of COVID. And while things have greatly improved and their unemployment rate is currently at 6% in America, there are still millions of people who are attempting to recover from the economic fallout of this past year because of all that has gone in on with COVID. Um, so whether or not you're in favor of a government, government stimulus type program is beside the point. Um, and there are still tens of millions of Americans out there from whom any windfall of money, um, no matter how trivial seeming it may seem to Dave Ramsey, um, you know, that's real money to real people. And, and heck, you know, my wife and I, we do pretty well for ourselves and $1,400 isn't going to change our lives. Um, it'll just be money that we could either, you know, invest with or, you know, make some home improvements with or, you know, build towards savings or maybe even give away. Um, you know, my wife and I, we, we live pretty comfortable, you know, middle-class lives. We're both working professionals. Uh, I'm a big bad banker and she's, you know, a librarian and we, we, we do all right in life. We live very, very comfortable, much better than most, um, to say the least, and even I, you know, not needing that money, still were like, wow, 1400 bucks? That's still real money in my book. Maybe it's not for you. And maybe it's not for Dave. And Dave might even say it wasn't real money for him even when he was broke. But, you know, he still was a real estate agent even when he was filing for bankruptcy. So it's not like he was flipping burgers and dropping fries at McDonald's wondering where the next paycheck was going to come from and how he was going to make ends meet. Um, you know... So anyway, I don't want to get caught off on, you know, the, the Dave Ramsey thing here, but I just want to say, you know, I think it's unfortunate that he holds this perspective and it's something that I think is a perspective that we desperately need to challenge, um, in our society, especially in the church. Um, you know, we, we have this sort of Protestant work ethic theology, this sort of prosperity gospel theology that God, you know, always blesses the hard workers. And, you know, if you're just really good at your job and try, you know, you'll get ahead. But unfortunately, that's simply not the case for some people. Some people try to work hard their entire lives and they still live paycheck to paycheck. They do everything they can to get ahead and they're still drowning at the end of the week. Um, and I don't think that is the result of anything that's necessarily even their fault. And that's not to say that there aren't times where such things could be the fault 
of such individuals. Um, but all I would say is life is complicated. Um, and the issues of poverty and the issues of wealth don't come down to simply whether or not you got out there and hustled. Um, there's lots of people who've tried very little to get ahead in life, and they've managed to do amazingly well. And there are some people who've worked like dogs and have nothing to show for it. Poverty is a complex issue, and I think it is an issue that we need to approach from an informed point of view. And we need to ask hard questions about why people are poor. It's, it's just lazy thinking, um, and it's thinking that's detached from actual reality to understand uh, poverty is simply as some sort of moral misgiving that poor people are just, you know, full of. Um, you're only poor because you suck, <laughs> is, is the philosophy that some people like Dave Ramsey take. Um, and I think it's terrible, it's narrow-minded, it's idiotic, and it's something we should, you know, turn away from. And it's not something we should give any serious consideration to. And frankly, things like that just put a sour taste in my mouth for Dave Ramsey. You know, I, I've been known a little bit to harp on Dave Ramsey over the years, and, and people think I'm just, you know, jealous or hate him or whatever. And, and no, I actually like a lot of things Dave has to say. I have some critiques of him, um, and this would be one of them. Um, and this critique, you know, would apply ultimately to some of you. And I think maybe that's why some folks get so bothered over my critiques with Dave Ramsey, because they realize that I'm criticizing them. In the process. Um, and in reality, it's true. Um, so without further ado, now that we've talked about this kind of case study with Dave, I want to give my attention to the complicated reasons people are really poor. Reasons that square up with good, sound biblical theology, as well as uh, prevailing economic sort of thought. So let's go ahead and get into this. So why are people poor? Why are people rich? The truth is, the reason that people are poor isn't so simple. How people become poor, how become people become rich, are often very complicated issues, and anybody who treats it as anything other than such, you just don't understand. I'm sorry. And if you truly study the issue out, you'll find sometimes your personal decisions have little to no bearing whatsoever on why you end up poor or why you end up being rich. There's a great book out there. I highly recommend it. It's by two authors, Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert, who wrote the book When Helping Hurts. And there's a sister book uh, by another author whose name escapes me at the moment called Toxic Charity. But these, this book in particular I found to be outstanding um, because it explores the complex reasons for why poverty exists and how we can help people escape poverty. And I highly encourage you to read their well-researched book. It's a book that's not only well-researched from a Christian theological perspective, but it also deals with some very real economic theories as well. In their book, Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert outline four basic factors that combine the theological and economical as to factors as to why they understand that material poverty exists in this world, and they explore in great detail what can be done to alleviate 
poverty in all its forms. I highly, highly, highly recommend you pick up a copy of the book. I link to it again at the show notes at jimmystable.com for episode 99. Um, please get it on Amazon. It's 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 pretty, pretty good book. Highly recommend. And in today's podcast, I kind of want to explore this book a little bit. I'm not going to be able to cover the entire book, um, but there are a couple chapters, namely chapters two and three, that stick out to me. Um, and there's a lot of quotes that I have ripped out of the book. And I just want to talk about those quotes now um, as we explore why people are poor and why some people are rich and uh, what roles we may have to play in poverty and wealth building. So here are some outstanding quotes that I'd like to discuss from this book. I'm going to kind of quote them pretty extensively and I'll mix in my own commentary as well. Again, all these quotes can be found at jimmystable.com for episode 99 if you want to read them in full. But I'm going to kind of just read these commentary, these quotes freely and intermix my own commentary. Um, and uh, you can pick up the book and find out the details of which was the, the book and which was me. And uh, I'll try to quote where possible and say it was a specific quote. But uh, anyway, let's go ahead and look at this. Here's some great quotes that I think really help frame up uh, a better healthy, balanced, biblical, and economic understanding of where poverty comes from. Quote, poverty is the result of relationships that do not work, that are not just, and that are not for life, that are not harmonious or enjoyable. Poverty is the absence of shalom in all its meanings. And you might wonder what that term shalom means. It's a Hebrew word. And there's a variety of meanings in different contexts. It can be used simply as a familiar greeting, or it can be a word used to describe peace, tranquility, or wholeness. In a greater sense, the word shalom is the sense of the way the world should be. And poverty exists because shalom does not, because wholeness does not exist. And when humanity was originally created, Adam and Eve were placed in a paradise called the Garden of Eden. And after their exile from Eden, they lived in a world where things were not as they should be. That's the world you and I currently know and exist and live in. And poverty is ultimately grounded in the reality of the broken relationships that stem from the lack of shalom. We no longer live in the paradise God created for humanity because our relationship with God was fundamentally broken in the fall of Adam and Eve. And it's from this broken relationship that all poverty ultimately flows. So, stop and think. If poverty is rooted in broken relationships, foundational relationships, then who are the poor? Due to the comprehensive nature of the fall, every human being is poor in the sense of not experiencing these four relationships in the way that God intended. So there are four different relationships that Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert define and explore in more detail in their book. First, there is our relationship with God. This is our primary relationship. And the other three relationships flow out of this one. According to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, it teaches that human beings' primary purpose is to glorify God and to in Him enjoy forever. This is our calling and the ultimate reason for which we were created as human beings. We were created to serve and give praise to our Creator in our thoughts, words, and actions. And when we do this, we experience the presence of God 
as our Heavenly Father and live in a joyful and intimate relationship with Him as His children. After the relationship with God, there's the relationship with self. People are uniquely created in the image of God and thus have inherent worth and dignity. And while we must remember that we are not God, we have a high calling on reflecting God's being in this world. Then there's our relationship with others. God created us to live in loving relationship with one another. We are not islands. No man is an island. And we are made to know one another and to love one another and to encourage one another and to use the gifts that God has given each of us to fulfill our callings and to create a fruitful world. Then there is our fourth relationship, our relationship with creation. The cultural mandate of Genesis teaches that God created us to ultimately be stewards of this world people who understand, protect, subdue, and manage the world that God has created in order to preserve it and produce bounty. Note that while God made the world perfect, he left it incomplete. And this means that while the world was created to be without defect, God has called humanity to interact with creation, to interact with one another, and to make the possibilities into realities that would be able to sustain ourselves via the fruits of our stewardship of that creation. So those are the four relationships. And if those four relationships, if any of them experience defect, if any of them experience a brokenness, if any of them experience a shortcoming, if you want to know where poverty comes from ultimately, it ultimately comes from a deficiency in one or many of these combined areas in relationship to God, in relationship to ourself, in relationship to others, and in relationship to creation. If any of those get out of sync, poverty is not too far away. And and if any of those are out of sync, we all suffer as a result. And because of it, We have to make bad choices. And sometimes, you know, those choices that we make, they may be bad or we may find ourselves, um, you know, unable to make good choices, redeeming choices to better one's situation. According to Nobel Laureate, I'm not sure how you pronounce this name, so forgive me if I'm pronouncing this wrong. Nobel Laureate Amarta Sen It is the lack of freedom to be able to make meaningful choices, to have the ability to affect one's situation that is the distinguishing feature of poverty. And because of the broken relationships that we have, we often lack the decision-making power to free ourselves from poverty. A deficiency in one of these four relational areas can have a significant impact on whether or not one has the ability to escape poverty. That is what makes the sting of poverty so oppressive for so many. It's simply not a, we're not able to simply always just pull ourselves up from the proverbial bootstraps on our way out of poverty. As a friend of mine once said, some people don't even have boots. How are they supposed to bootstrap their way out of poverty when they don't have boots? And as a result, no amount of working hard or making good choices will ever free them from their poverty. For sometimes, 
There are simply bigger issues at play. So how does one escape poverty? Escaping material poverty is about people being able to make choices that ultimately allows them and the rest of humanity to thrive. And in the Christian understanding of the world, that begins with restoring those broken relationships. According to Steve Corbett and Brian Fickard in their book, poverty alleviation is ultimately the ministry of reconciliation, moving people closer to glorifying God by living in right relationship with God, with self, with others, and the rest of creation. And they state in their book, our goal is not to make the materially poor all over the world into middle, upper-class North Americans, a group characterized by high divorce rate, sexual addiction, substance abuse, and mental illness, nor is the goal to make sure the material poor have enough money. Indeed, America's welfare system has ensured that individuals have more than enough money to survive, but they ultimately feel trapped in the, the poverty system that they become addicted to. Rather, the goal is to restore people to the full expression of humanness, to being what God created us to be, people who glorify God by living right with relationship with him, with self, with others, and the rest of creation. Material poverty alleviation is working to reconcile the four foundational relationships so that people can fulfill their callings of glorifying God by working and supporting themselves and their families with the fruit of that work. Therefore, helping people escape poverty requires us to address issues related to all of these four broken relationships. Man needs to be brought into a right relationship with God. And our personal sins and shortcomings can negatively impact our lives. Choices have consequences and sinful choices often have negative consequences that hurt our ability to thrive. And those sins seldom just negatively impact us. With no man being an island, our sinful choices often negatively impact others in the communities that we're involved in. They impact our friends, our families, our choices, our communities, and our governments. And when this happens, this can create systemic issues that oppress others and keep them from doing well. These systemic issues create injustices in the world that make it impossible for people to freely enter into contracts, trade, labor, and do things that ultimately create value in the world for others to enjoy. If a tyrant is in charge, and there's no rule of law, and judges take bribes, the only people that will get ahead are those who are friends of the tyrant. <laughs> you know, you can't throw money at tyrants, uh, as we have often done in some countries in this world, and just expect everybody to do well. If you have a corrupt system, if you have corrupt institutions, if you have people that distort justice for others, then no amount of bootstrapping will ever allow you to get ahead because the second you do well, somebody's just going to come clonk you in the head and take what you've earned and give it to themselves. Issues related to freedom, issues related to slavery, immigration, theft, racial discrimination, unjust laws, um, and all sorts of societal ills must ultimately be addressed for people to be able to flourish. And people can only escape poverty, and they can only do so if they can freely operate in healthy and high 
functioning systems. And if those systems are unstable, if those systems are broken, if those systems have inefficiencies, if those systems have corruption in them, if you're not able to work the system as a result, and the system constantly kneecaps you like some mob boss, then those people are doomed ultimately to the poverty that has persisted throughout all of human history. And if the system isn't functioning properly, and all these relational issues aren't being addressed, then you'll ultimately never escape poverty, and no matter will anybody else be able to escape poverty, no matter how many times you take a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University program. You know, you could take Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University program and try to thrive in communist Russia. <laughs> but if Vladimir Putin doesn't agree that you should be thriving... No amount of working hard will allow you to work your way out of poverty. Or if you live in Viet North, uh, if you live in North Korea, you know, you won't be able to escape your poverty if the government doesn't allow you. Because first, you're going to have to cross a landmine field, and you're going to have to live with the fact that uh, their little dictator over there is going to be willing to kill your family once. He finds out you've escaped. So, you know, you can say, well, I'm going to go flee to America. But you're going to do so not only at the risk of your own life, but the life of everybody else back at home that doesn't escape with you. So no, no matter the choices you make for yourself, suffering is going to entail. Even if the choices you make are wise and prudent, no matter if you work hard, no matter if you study hard, no matter if, if you do all the things right, if a corrupt government won't let you get ahead, you're probably not. And it can be hard to thrive during such times. Now, here in America, we kind of have an interesting form of government. We have largely a free market capitalist type structure, which... You know, for the most part, lets people freely trade and move about and to engage in contracts with one another that they deem reasonably fit for themselves and exchange things created in value that help the other person receive something in value that makes their life better. And because of those free market systems, people are able to thrive. Judges honor contracts. Um, if somebody steals something, uh, justice is upheld, um, and you know you have things that allow people um, to thrive. You have a, a largely healthy functioning system. It may be an imperfect system, um, but it allows a lot of people to get ahead in life. But not always. Sometimes the government does things like it has in the past year, and you know, and maybe it was the right thing for the government to shut everything down because of COVID. But because of that choice of the government made to break the kneecaps of a lot of business owners, to break the kneecaps of a lot of people who wait tables and work in the hospitality industry and a number of other industries, there have been a lot of people out there who haven't been able to carve out a living for themselves for which the ability to flourish is being hindered because of greater concerns we have with, a, with the health and well-being of others. And that's just the current environment that we're in. And if you're in one of those industries, no amount of applying for 
table waiting jobs or DoorDash jobs is probably going to do a lot to help you escape your poverty. And there's not going to be much in the way of bootstrapping going on. That's not to say you can't find other jobs in other fields, but when everybody else is trying to do the same, things tend to get a little competitive. And when employers have options, they're going to choose the options that best fit them. And that option may not be you. There may be other qualified candidates that they give preference to. So what do you do in the meantime? Well, you hopefully try to leverage your family relationships. But what happens if those family relationships are broken? What happens if your family is dead? Or what happens if uh, mom and dad, you know, don't like you? What happens if your siblings are constantly fighting with you? What happens if, if all your other family is poor and doesn't, don't have the means to help you either? Then what do you do? You know? And we live in a society in which people have run out of options. And even though we do have some social safety nets in this country, those social safety nets that we have, there's good things about them, but there's also bad things about them. And they don't always help people enough, or they help enough in order to get people addicted to being helped and don't offer them a help up. And they get them constantly caught in this cycle of dependency from which there is little to no escape because to escape it would mean a greater risk than the sure thing you have coming from Uncle Sam or whatever other charity you may be receiving. And such is simply the nature of the world. Or you may have medical problems. Um, For example, like, you know, a a, a year and a half ago, I had uh, a broken leg. Um, And then I, as a result of the broken leg, I had a blood clot that got caught in my lungs and laid me out in the hospital for a week. Well, as a result of being in the hospital for a week and with a broken leg, I wasn't able to work. And I racked up $50,000 worth of medical bills. Now, lucky for me, I had good short-term disability insurance. And I also had good insurance planned with my employer. And I was actually able to get by with paying very little out of pocket. I had a nice health savings account that was able to cover a lot of those uh, medical bills that would have otherwise been mine. And as a result, I was able to work the system. And now I'm back at work and I'm thriving and my wife and I were doing well and I don't owe any medical debts. But what happens if that same issue of somebody breaking a leg who didn't have the insurance and ended up being in the hospital and didn't have a job like mine to where I could take, you know, short-term leave of absence and that continued paying me a salary until I got well? And what happens if I didn't have all those things to fall back on? What happens if I had just been somebody who waited tables for a living, who, you know, had crappy insurance and, you know, maybe was trying to get ahead and do other things to get ahead and was looking for other opportunities, but all of a sudden they break a leg and they're in the hospital and $50,000 worth of medical debt and they don't have, you know, other options just available to them. What happens if they don't have any family to fall back on? Like I often thought when I broke my leg, was in the hospital for, Uh, a week. You know, thank God my wife was around. Thank God my in-laws around. Thank God my parents were around. Thank God my church was around. Because all these people, you know, when all of a sudden I was put on the sidelines, I was able to, uh, to rebound because I had people who loved me and cared for me. And there were systems in place, um, in which I was able to 
focus on me and getting better and not have to worry about day-to-day issues, not have to worry about the bills, not have to worry about debt collectors, not have to worry about paying for my mortgage and keeping the lights on and putting food in my stomach. All those things were taken care of. And it was very humbling because I even thought like, you know, because of my broken leg, um, you know, I, I, I had a difficult time, you know, using the bathroom properly. I couldn't get up a flight of stairs to the second story of my house where my master bedroom was. Um, and where my a larger master bathroom was. So I was stuck and forced to deal with sleeping downstairs in the living room and to use our half bath for several weeks uh, until I you know, had the ability to eventually gain the mobility to work my way upstairs and actually bathe and take care of myself in better conditions. But had I been on my own, had I not have all these people to help me, I often thought, well, what would have happened to me? Well, what would have happened to me if I had been in any other condition that so many millions of other people face in this country? I could have not only been in medical hardships, but I could have been in real financial constraints that could have affected the rest of my life. That could have left me, you know, destitute at the end of the day. And such things have left people destitute. But because the systems were in place... Because there was a sense of shalom about all the relationships that I'm engaged with, not only with God, but, you know, with my employers, with my government, and with my immediate community, um, and as well as the rest of creation. Because all these things, you know, were in good standing because I didn't have to worry about thieves breaking in and killing me in the middle of the night because, you know, they saw some cripple who couldn't defend themselves, um, you know. I was able to recover. I was able to thrive. And I'm still here kicking and screaming today. (laughs) And I'm doing well. And through the midst of all the things with COVID, I've continued to thrive. Um, You know, I've been fortunate to have a job where I didn't lose my job because of things that have happened to the economy. And my employer has even made it possible for me to work at home. So I haven't had to go out into the public and deal with issues that could you know, possibly jeopardize my health because of COVID. So I share all these stories to, today, not only about Dave Ramsey, and I share all these quotes from this, this book um, that I've read from, uh, which I highly recommend you read, um, uh, called When Helping Hurts by Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert. But, you know, I've also shared my own experiences because I think we need to come to the table with a perspective outside that of our own. Because I feel too often, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, our own personal perspective and our own relationship with wealth and poverty ultimately shapes the narrative. Um, It shapes our narrative and understanding of how these things function. And as a result, I think people like Dave Ramsey and the people who drink his Kool-Aid, which are some of you, and who defend him no matter what he says, you know, and who refuse to think critically about these issues. And again, that's some of you who can't stand the criticism. (laughs) Um, You know, refuse to tackle these issues for what they are. They're complex issues. And today's podcast that I've done, jimmystable.com, has just been 
a dipping of my toe into the waters for why, and, ex, and helping to understand why people are poor and why some people are rich. You know? These, comp, these issues get a lot more complicated than these four relationship issues. Um, you know, there's issues to consider about um, systems of government and systems of finance and, you know, free market capitalism or socialism or some sort of mixture in between. You know, what sort of government programs should a society have or not have and how that, you know, positively and negatively impacts the economy as a whole. So much other stuff that we could possibly talk about. But I hope I today I've given you something to chew on, especially for those of you uh, who are Christians that listen to this podcast at jimmystable.com. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you will share Why Are People Poor? Episode 99 with others. Um, hope you subscribe. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Email me, jimmy at jimmystable.com, or you can interact with me on Twitter or, or Facebook. Links to both those places where you can interact with me are on uh, the jimmystable.com website. Um, so I hope you've had something to think about. And, you know, I hope I haven't come across too much of a jerk. I've been trying to be a little pointed and pick on Dave Ramsey, and I, I do it halfway serious and halfway fun. Um, but I think he can take it, right? <laughs> I think he can take it. I think I think he can take it, but I don't know. I've been blocked by him on Twitter a long time ago because apparently he's a little thin-skinned and, you know, even though he's, you know, big-time CEO and makes and has a 15 million dollar house, you know, apparently he can't stand the heat of a little constructive criticism and a little thought-provoking jabs because at the end of the day, you know, love or hate Dave Ramsey. He's just a guy trying to make a living. And anybody who steps on his toes and his ability to make a living, I understand. He's going he's gonna to cut you off and insulate himself, probably like most of what we would do. Because at the end of the day, he doesn't want to be reduced to poverty, does he? Well, everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast where I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. Take care, everybody. God bless, and have a good one. That's all I have to say about that. That's the right on, man. You said it all. <laughs>